Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 684 for the 13th of March, 2020. This week, using the start screen or pinning icons to the taskbar works, but it's also possible to start applications with a keyboard-based launcher. Sometimes that's the faster and easier way to work. In short circuits, if you've ever been grossed out by your computer's keyboard, maybe now's a good time to clean it. Let's see what's involved. British software publisher Serif has released updates for its line of Affinity products, designer, photo, and publisher. If you own the applications, the updates are free. In spare parts, only on the website, more resources for Adobe stock users who can now obtain images from two new providers. Given the source of many computer components, it's probably no surprise that the new coronavirus is having an adverse effect on computer shipments. And 20 years ago, several organizations started providing dial-up internet access for free. Not everybody likes the methods Microsoft provides to start applications in Windows 10. If you're in that group, maybe you'd like some additional options. But let's start by reviewing what Microsoft itself offers. You can press the Windows key and select an application from the start screen. Or you can press the Windows key, select All Apps, scroll to the application you want, and click it. Or you can press the Windows key, start typing the name of the application, and click the one that you want on the list that Windows displays. Or you can store your most used applications on the taskbar, then locate the icon for the application you want, and click it. Each of those options works, but each leaves me wanting something more. And that's despite the fact that I accepted the start screen not long after it was introduced in Windows 8. My longtime preference has been to pin the 100 or so applications I use most often to the taskbar. Doing that requires two settings that are less than ideal, though. First, using small icons, which makes them harder to see, and pulling the taskbar up so that two rows of icons will fit. Because the width of the notification area, previously known as the system tray, can change depending on which applications are running, some icons at the far right of the taskbar's top row can be pushed down to the left side of the bottom row. An icon that's not in the right location is annoying because it slows the process of launching the application it represents. So enter Launchy. Launchy is, as the name suggests, an application launcher. It predates Windows 10. It predates Windows 8, and it even predates Windows 7. Launchy's initial release was in 2007, one year after Microsoft had released Vista. So here we are, 13 years later, and I finally decided to give Launchy a try. When you visit the Launchy developer's website to download the application, you'll be asked to donate. And most people probably won't donate before they give the application a test drive. So go ahead and download without paying, but keep the site in mind so that you can return and chip in a bit if you decide that Launchy is worth paying for. Downloads are available for Windows XP and above, Mac OS, and Linux. Some of the keystrokes differ from one operating system to another. 
so I'll be describing the operation for Windows users. Launchy adds a link to the startup folder so that it'll start with Windows. When you want to use it, press Alt and the spacebar. If you don't like that key combination, you can change it. Launchy pops up, and you can start typing the name of the application you want to run. Type Dream, and you'll be offered Dreamweaver. Wait a few moments, and Launchy will offer other applications. In my case, it offered a few HTML documents and some PDF documents. But Launchy also learns. The letters D and W are part of Dreamweaver's name, so if I type DW and wait a bit, Launchy offers several choices, and one of them, Dreamweaver, is fairly far down the list. If I scroll down to Dreamweaver and press Enter, Launchy learns that I'd like to use DW to launch Dreamweaver. The same is true for other applications. Typing Word displays Microsoft Word, WordPerfect, WordPad, and WordPerfect Lightning. Maybe I'd like to use MW to start Word. This time, Microsoft Word isn't on the list when I type MW. This requires a little bit of extra work that starts by finding where the Start Menu's link for Word is stored. It happens to be in C Programs Data Microsoft Windows Start Menu Programs. Next, I needed to create a directory I could point Linky to. I chose to create a directory called Launchy Links in the Settings directory on drive D. Then copy, don't move, just copy the link from the original location to the new location. Open Linky's settings and choose the Catalog tab, then add your new directory to the catalog and tell Linky to rescan the catalog. Now either Word or MW will start Microsoft Word. That may seem like a lot of work, but it needs to be done only once and only for applications that Linky can't figure out on its own. One significant advantage a launcher provides is the ability to start applications without reaching for the mouse. Pressing Alt-Spacebar, typing MW, and pressing Enter takes less than a second, and Word opens immediately. Admittedly, tapping the Windows key, typing WOR, and pressing Enter is nearly as fast. So maybe you need another reason to use an application such as Launchy. Okay, I have more. If you use the command prompt frequently, you've probably noticed that by default it opens in the user's directory. That's probably not the directory you want in most cases. So when I open Launchy and type C, command is shown, pressing the tab key, typing CD and a forward slash, then pressing Enter opens the command prompt and switches to the root directory on drive C. Or I can type left parenthesis 2 plus sign 56 right parenthesis star 3. The display immediately shows 174. That's the result of adding 2 and 56, then multiplying the sum by 3. Launchy is able to do this because the default installation includes a plugin called Calci. It isn't a full function calculator, it's limited to the four basic math functions and parentheses, but it demonstrates that plugins lead to more useful functionality. In addition to Calci, plugins that are installed with Launchy include Controli, GCalc, Runner, Verbi, and Webby. The Launchy website lists several other plugins, but they seem to be unavailable. Killy, for example, should allow the user to terminate a running application, and System Power could be used to shut down or reboot the computer. These plugins were once stored in Microsoft OneDrive accounts or on other cloud-based locations that are no longer present. Although the missing plugins would be handy, the more important ones come with the Launchy installer. 
Not all of them work as expected, though, because the application seems not to have been updated since 2008. Controly provides direct access to control panel components, but it has not been updated to work with the various settings apps. GCalc is supposed to use Google's Calc function. It no longer works. That's possibly because Google has changed the API. Runner can be used to create custom commands and permit the use of arguments when launching an application. If you need to run IP config to check a computer's communications settings, typing command, pressing the tab key, and then typing IP config will open the command prompt and run IP config. Verbi adds additional commands that can be run against an application that Launchy selects. Typing UE and pressing the tab key, then pausing for a moment, adds file properties, open shortcut folder, copy path the clipboard, open containing folder, and run as a different user for Ultra Edit Studio. And Webby seems to be the most configurable add-in. Typing email, the tab key, and then an email address will open the system's default email application and start a new email to the specified address. Launchy comes with 14 prepared options that can be used as is, modified, or used as templates for creating new functions. Launchy is unquestionably one of the oldest launcher applications for Windows, and it seems to be one of the most useful launcher applications, even though it hasn't been updated since early 2014. You can download Launchy from the developer's website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. The website is outdated too, though, and when you follow that link on the TechBiter Worldwide website, your browser may warn that it's unsafe because the link I've provided specifies secure HTTP. You can safely ignore that warning, or you can copy and paste another URL I've provided that does not specify secure HTTP. There are more recent launcher applications, so if you like the idea of a launcher but not launchy, take a look at Wox. That's another site that seems not to have been updated and may be reported as unsafe. It's not. Again, I've provided a link that does not specify secure HTTP. Executor has a more modern interface, and the most recent update was in 2019. Executor has far more settings and appears to be considerably more customizable than any of the other competitors, so watch for a review of this application on an upcoming program. And then there's Jarvis. It's distributed by a GitHub, which does use secure HTTP, so you won't see any warnings there. Check out Launchy or Wox or Executor or Jarvis. There are links to all of them from the TechBiter Worldwide website. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, I'll be the first to admit that I'm not particularly neat, but sometimes the dust, dirt, grit, and crumbs on the keyboard become too much even for me to bear. 
that's when it's time to clean the thing. When that happens, the keyboard is always well beyond what can be resolved by just wiping the keys with a damp rag. The key tops actually are okay. The serious dirt and grunge are below. That means it's time to remove the keycaps, wash them, vacuum the keyboard base, and then reassemble everything. If you decide to clean a keyboard, do yourself a favor and take a picture of it first. You might think you remember where all the keys go, but you will forget some of them. Trust me on this. It's a lesson I learned many years ago. And you'll find the job is easier if you have a key puller that is intended for the task of separating the keys from the keyboard. Of course, I couldn't find mine the last time I had an urge to clean the keyboard. Instead of ordering one and expecting to still be in the mood to clean the keyboard when the tool arrived, I improvised. If you're careful, a small screwdriver can be used to lift the key while keeping pressure on the opposite side so it doesn't twist. Long keys, like the spacebar, the shift, and sometimes the enter key, are best lifted from the horizontal center, and you'll probably find a stabilizer bar under the key. Replacing keys with stabilizer bars is more difficult than replacing keys without them. If that concerns you, consider working around the wide keys and leaving them in place. The area below the keys in my keyboard was a bit dusty and dirty. You'll see the picture on the TechBiter Worldwide website. After dumping the keys from the left side of the keyboard into hot water with dishwashing detergent, I used a tiny nozzle to vacuum out the mess. I have an articulated keyboard, so it has two distinct sides. I cleaned one side at a time. Even if the keyboard is straight, doing one side at a time eliminates the danger of mixing up the left and right shift keys, the left and right windows keys, the left and right alt keys, and the left and right control keys. And yes, that's another lesson I learned a long time ago. When it's time to reinstall the wide keys with the stabilizer bars, tilting the keyboard usually helps. Align the center post, then use a small screwdriver to position the two sides of the stabilizer bar by the channel that they slide into, and then press the key into the center post. That's actually a lot harder than it sounds, and it does take a while to master the procedure. Depending on whether you're right-handed or left-handed, the wide keys on one side of the keyboard will be harder to replace than those on the other. When you have the wide keys back in place, and definitely do them first. Use the photos of the keyboard to make sure that you put the other keys back where they belong. It is really easy to return a key to the wrong location, or to install it so that it's facing the wrong way. At the end of the process, you'll have a clean, almost like new, keyboard. British software developer Serif's Affinity line of applications were all updated to version 1.8 at the end of February, and the result is a series of powerful applications with surprisingly low prices. Photo, designer, and publisher each cost $50, and those who have purchased the applications can update to the new versions without any additional cost. Serif allows users to install the applications on whatever number of computers that they personally own, but all of the computers must be the same operating system. Those who want to use the applications on both Windows and Mac OS computers will need to purchase two licenses.
After performing the updates, be sure to reboot the computer to avoid application crashes. Designer crashed three times and then started properly following the update. Four attempts to start the photo application all failed. The problem was reduced, although not entirely eliminated, after I rebooted the computer. Each application does occasionally still crash on launch. So let's take a look at what's new. We'll start with Designer. The Designer application competes with Adobe Illustrator and CorelDRAW. Version 1.8 adds a feature that was already in Photo and Publisher, the ability to search three royalty-free image services, Unsplash, Pexels, and Pixabay. Users may be annoyed by having to click the I Understand box to acknowledge that images are not being provided by Serif each time they use the feature. The connections to Unsplash and Pixabay worked as expected, so the developers and Pexels will need to fix that. Images can be dragged onto any of the three Affinity applications, but the thumbnail images are so small that it might be better to double-click an image that appears to be usable so that it'll open full-size in a browser. Serif's developers have built the three applications to work together. The user interfaces are similar across all applications, and each application has additions that are essential for the intended tasks. For designer, that means the ability to work with vector graphics. The vector engine has been improved in version 1.8 so that operation seems more responsive. A feature called Expand Stroke has been the most significant improvement. Expand Stroke is a cousin to convert to curves, but it works on both letters and geometric forms. It locks in the size relationship of outline strokes so that resizing an object maintains the proportion of the stroke. Improvements in designer's code also make the operation faster. Designer comes with several built-in templates and allows the user to create and name new ones. Facebook graphics, for example, work best when they are 2,048 pixels wide, 1,075 pixels tall. Creating such a template and then selecting it for new documents intended for use on Facebook ensures that such documents will be sized properly. Graphic designers often specify colors using the Pantone color referencing model, and version 1.8 of the application has been fully updated to Pantone version 4 colors. Moving on to Affinity Photo. The photo application competes with Adobe Lightroom and Photoshop, as well as Corel's PhotoPaint and other photo editing applications. Affinity Photo's ability to process camera raw images was improved in version 1.7, and it has been enhanced again in version 1.8. The most significant change is the application's ability to process multiple raw files simultaneously instead of one at a time. Raw image processing also offers 32-bit output, the ability to remove the default tone curve, better demosaicing, and enhanced noise reduction. The Photo application has a big improvement for those who use smart objects in Adobe Photoshop files. Affinity Photo could import PSD files previously, but only those without smart objects. Those are now converted to embedded documents when the user opens a Photoshop file. Developers have also added manual overrides to the existing automatic lens corrections. Most users will choose the manual override when they work with older lenses or with specialized lenses that have no electronic connection to the camera. It's a handy feature to have. And Affinity Photo now supports NIC plugins. These are popular with photographers because they allow 16-bit photo editing for better color control. 
And a quick look at Affinity Publisher. The publisher application is a competitor for Adobe InDesign at Quark Express. Although Affinity Publisher can't import standard Adobe InDesign files, it can import InDesign markup language files. Adobe created that IDML format to allow users of InDesign to create output files that could then be loaded into older versions of InDesign. Previously, the InDesign files had to be rendered as PDF documents to be imported into Publisher. Swapping master pages in earlier versions of Affinity Publisher stripped out any content that had been added to the pages based on that template. Version 1.8 eliminates that problem. Those who want to retain content when changing a master page can choose to migrate the existing content. And those who send documents out for professional printing need to be sure that the files are perfect. A new pre-flight panel gives feedback that eliminates errors. The absence of pre-flight warnings was a key concern when Publisher was released initially in 2019. The pre-flight shows text that is overset, non-proportional sizing of images, low-resolution images, problems with bleeds, missing items, images that have been edited but not updated in the document, missing fonts, invalid hyperlinks, and more than a dozen other potential errors. The pre-flight checks are still a work in process. There need to be some additional ones added, but this is enough of a start to make the application a valid option for professional designers. There are no tests for spare parts, but you will have to visit the website to read that section. This week's segments include more resources for Adobe stock users who can now obtain images from two new providers. Given the source of many computer components, it's probably no surprise that the new coronavirus is having an adverse effect on computer shipments. And 20 years ago, several organizations started providing dial-up internet access for free. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.